You walk into this room at your own risk. You are about to participate in a great adventure. You are about to experience the awe and mystery which reaches from the inner mind to the outer limits. That the sons of God saw, the daughters of men, that they were fair, and they took them wives of all which they chose. And I'm here today to tell you that we're actually hacking the software of life. There were giants in the earth in those days and also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, and they bare children to them. The same became mighty men, which were of old, men of renown. And we're in a fight for our lives. The church is being persecuted like it's never been persecuted before. And some churches refuse to even open up, they're so afraid. And it, it, will, it will be biblical. Biblical. We've never lived at a time like we're living in right now. But you know, if God should stamp eternity or even judgment on our eyeballs, or if you like, on the fleshy table of our hearts, I'm quite convinced we'd be a very, very different tribe of people, God's people in the world today. Good morning. Welcome to the Removing Confusion podcast. This is Tom Richardson. It's April the 15th. We're directly in the middle of April 2021. You know, I've been pondering something for a while. And, you know, I do a lot of, we talk a lot here about uh, how the Bible and the world's uh, let me rephrase that. How the news of the world kind of reflects what the Bible said we would go through or, or are going through. And uh, I don't I don't discount any of that. I really do believe it. That's why I do what I do here. Um, I'm not trying to talk about myself. I'll get I get in trouble when I say I and I don't care. I do want to say this. It's it's uh, it's pertinent to understand the things of this world and how they ref- how they have a, a t- they play a toll on us, and they've played a toll. I think, especially on the Church of God, Church of Jesus Christ, and I'm not talking about denominations. I'm talking about the true Church of Jesus Christ, the true church of God. And a lot of that is not the world's fault of why the church is in the state that it's in. It's a church's fault. We were given our marching orders 2,000 years ago to go out and make disciples, to bring people in, And, you know, God bless us. A lot of churches do. A lot of people do. We try to witness as much as we can where we can. 
uh, where where man's government hasn't locked us down to where we're not allowed to do it. But yet, the church doesn't seem to be on a pretty strong footing. And the problem, I believe, is because we've made it boring to go to church. Now, you know, some churches have souped up their sound systems and they've uh, uh, engaged very talented musicians, much like the, the opening song that I've been using for a while now, which is based on Psalm 91. Uh, the Angel Armies are my, on my side by Chris Tomlin. And, uh, you know, the ending when I go out is Matt Marr. He's a Catholic, I believe, but he has some really good songs. You know, and that's where the church thinks taking boredom away is that. And that's not it. It's not the music. And it's not the uh, the skinny-jeaned, dressed preacher I don't care what you wear as long as you're interesting. You know, as I've said before, one of my favorite uh, pastor teachers was uh, was Steve Mitchell. He he rarely ever wore a suit. Uh, He didn't 99.9% of the time even use the King James Bible like I do. Although uh, I, I tend to look at different versions because sometimes the archaic is so hard to understand. Now, I attend a church where that's looked at as heresy, but it's not. I don't care. I'm, I'm, I'm getting to the I don't care phase because I'm tired of boring Christianity, and there's no reason for it. There's absolutely no reason for it. And, you know, there's there, some people would say, well, what you engage yourself in Tom is boring to us, you know, this looking deeper into scriptures and trying to learn things that, you know, uh, blah, 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 you know, whatever it may be. And I I am, I like, I've, I've been trained in my mind by others who have a very good flair for this to see different things in scripture. And it's kept it alive for me for you know, 30-some years. You know, I haven't fallen into that rut of you read, read, you know, the read the Bible and that's it. You know, uh, that way I can say I did my penance to God today, which is not what it's about. We engage ourselves in reading our Bible because it, it should be powerful and interesting and there's something new every day. It's not boring. Yes, there are dry spots like Leviticus. But if you can see through that, and I I encourage you to find somebody who can explain to you, and I I have a, a, a little bit of knowledge on Leviticus. I've taken some college courses online where uh, it was basically it was a brief overfly of the entire Bible, which is what I want to do today. I'm not going to go over the entire thing, but, you know, anyway, this fellow opened up my eyes to what Leviticus, a Levitical law book, really had in it, and it changed the idea for me. 
behind how dry the the rules and regulations were. Now, if you understand that, that those rules and regulations were set there for that specific people, the the uh, the Israelites, the Jews, the Hebrews, whatever they want to call them at that point in time, it was put there for them to get in their minds, this is how God works. This is what he expects. You won't mix this with that. You won't eat this. You'll eat that because that isn't good for you, but yet this will sustain you. Don't eat pork. Eat cow. Eat, you know, don't eat the eagle because he's not clean. Eat the chicken or whatever. You know, stay away from things that aren't good. Don't touch the dead things. Don't eat what's strangled. You know, on and on. Don't boil a kid in its mother's milk. Did you know that was there? See? Is it a revelation? No, it's in the Bible. It should never be boring. Now, yeah, some some messages, you can't, you can't always be the on-fire guy who keeps you wide awake and should be you know, on the TV, clapping his hands and, and telling uh, jokes to keep you going. I don't really care much for that. I actually like teaching. I like a guy who, when I walk away, I can say, I didn't know that. There's really no time and there's no, uh, you, we live right now in what Paul would have called the last of the last days. Second Timothy chapter three, when you read it, read it like you're reading the newspaper. Men will become lovers of themselves, heady, high-minded, boastful, and proud. Children will disobey their parents. Goodness gracious. Now we all have at some point or another. Nobody can say, oh, I never disobeyed my parents. Yes, you did. You got your, you got your hiney tanned once in a while, like the rest of us. Don't try to be perfect. You know, it goes on and on. You know, if you read that passage and think about, well, wow, that sounds like so-and-so today or this and that that I saw in the news today, or, or maybe it was the news guy himself you saw today that fits the bill. Happens all the time. So there's, you know, living in the time that we live in, there is really no time for dusty, tired old sermons about nothing. When a person goes to church, it should be enthusing. It should be enthralling. It should be open. It should be, you know, you don't have to pound the pulpit. You don't have to jump up and down. You don't have to, but there should be some excitement. There should be some, this is what God is doing today. He did it 2,000, 4,000 years ago even, and he's still doing it. But we... Don't look at things through the spiritual eyes. We look at through them the humanist eyes. Many sermons are just that. They're not spiritual. They're humanistic. How can I make this sermon today look and sound so intelligent and so, you know, uh, relevant, if you want to use that word, and then it ends up being neither. It ends up boring, bland, cold. You walk out of church and you're like, I, I, 
Why not even come? That's why people don't. You know, it's not the music. Now, sometimes in those churches with the band, yes, the music kind of holds it up. I've been there where it was more the music that carried the ministry than the, than the sermons. The sermons were bland and boring and cold. You can't do that. That's not what God's looking for. We are in a spiritual war like nothing since the beginning of the church age. And we need to understand that. But we don't because the spiritual aspects of the Bible have been stripped away and turned into that humanistic thing where, you know, it's all about how you act personally or, you know, this is what happened then, but, oh, it won't happen now. Oh, yes, it will. And, yes, it is. Are they going to feed us literally to the lions? I don't know, but it could happen. If not, we have to look at it from that spiritual aspect that we are constantly being fed to the lions. We're being lined up in the Colosseum and pointed at and saying, don't listen to them. They're on the outside, just like the unvaccinated. They're not going to be allowed into the restaurants. They're not going to be allowed into the stores. These Christians don't pay them any attention. They're holding on to a a text that was written 2,000, 4,000, 6,000 years ago, whatever. They believe in a God that doesn't exist. Castigate them. Impinge them and shove them off to the side. And the bad thing is, is a lot of churches are doing that to their own people. A lot of churches are like, it's our denomination and that's it. We don't have time for the Methodists. They don't believe what we believe. We don't have time for the Baptists. They're uh, once saved, always saved. We don't want anything to do with that. And on and on and on. Because of doctrinal stupidity and differences, we have separated ourselves. Now, let's talk about the Bible. I, I, I got off on a, uh, that was a like an elephant trail. It wasn't even a rabbit trail. Let's look at the Bible and just, just I want to do a, a like a flyover in the time that I have left, which is whatever time I deem. The overview. First of all, I mean, I want you to kind of not, I don't, I'm not doing a weird new agey, you know, visualization thing here. What I'm doing, I want you to understand is this is just a flyover. This is just a, uh, kind of get the mind pictures going. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What, how did he do it? Did he snap his fingers? Did he say, okay, let me grab a hold of some mud? And, no, he spoke and it happened. Then we go down through, you know, he creates the animals. He creates the, the great, uh, beasts and he, he creates the, uh, the the entire planet all everything the universe is god's then you know we go along we're gonna we're like say we're flying over god creates man man then he takes and creates woman from man 
and we go on and on. And then, you know, it took three chapters for us to drop the ball, fall, and sin against God. Get cast out of a wonderful place, which is where God is, Eden, heaven, whatever you want to call it. We were thrown out. We were, we were cast out because we listened to a snake, supposedly a serpent. You know, we can look at that in many different ways. You know, the Hebraic tongue says nechash, which means the shiny one. So he was obvious. You know, and you think about this. Why wasn't Eve just a little bit stunned that this serpent was speaking to her? You ever think of that? You ever just sit there and say, well, that's kind of odd. Yeah. We're going to touch on these things in a minute. So man sins and falls. God sends a flood later on down the road. We're, we're skipping over a lot of stuff. We're getting, jumping over the murders and the, and the genealogies and all that. We come to Genesis 6, which is a second falling of man. Man's already in a sinful state. But this disobedience thing gets to a point where God has to interject himself into the situation. Daughters of men and sons of God, angels, somehow have found these women to be like receptacles to them. And giants are born from them. Mighty men of old, Gibrim. You read that again. Uh, Do you just skip over the fact that it said there's giants on the earth? in those days, and then afterward as well? Do you realize that Genesis 6 is one of those things that it's not just in the Bible text, it's in all the ancient civilizations have written about, but now they don't don't have it from the Christian or the the godly perspective. They they look at it like there were these, these gods that came down, and somehow created uh, a super race of giants and men with intense knowledge. Taught them how to do things like, you know, make things out of brass and silver and whatever, metal, metallurgy. And they taught them how to cut the herbs and do certain things with the herbs. That's Genesis 6. That's why the flood happened, because of this intervention, this interaction, I'm sorry, between man and, and angel, mankind or womankind, and these angels that fell. They landed on a place called Mount Hermon. That's something for another day, because we're just flying over. Then, you know, we go down the road of peace. God does the flood. He wipes out the entire world. Now, you understand this, please, that it's not just the Bible text that speaks of a worldwide flood. Every ancient people group speaks about a worldwide flood, a flood in there, the Chinese that w- would have been at that point in time, the Native Americans, the, uh, the Mesopotamian Indians of, the, of South America, uh, the Sumerians. I mean, it goes on and on. They all have some text that has been found over the periods of years, the Egyptians, all of them, that talk about this flood. So the flood happened. 
we know from the Bible text that it happened. Their texts show mythology and other kinds of things that caused it to happen. And they also have a guy that rides the boat, I guess, and, and gets out of it. So we get, we have, anyway, let's the back to the Bible. But see, I'm trying to fit you into something here to think about. The, 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 the ark comes to a, a, a landing spot, uh, some say in Ararat, Mount Ararat in Turkey, which is very possible, and I'm sure it is. But, you know, the Turks aren't going to let us get involved in that. There's probably a reason for it godly reason okay but anyway it lands there and noah comes out with his family the eight of them are that are left on the entire planet and they repopulate the earth and you know you have that uh genesis 10 9 and 10 uh, it will go through the whole genealogy thing so you understand that from noah and his three sons we have the the uh, repopulation of the earth we come to a point where uh, there's another super figure that shows up, not a good guy, by the name of Nimrod. We are in Genesis 11. See, so yeah, we, we've gone about 10 minutes. I haven't even got out of Genesis 11 and how it can be interesting. The Bible should be interesting. This is a third falling of man in a, in a sense because God has told them to do a specific thing and they don't do it. He said, go out, spread out, spread out, and, you know, repopulate the earth, be fruitful. No, they all hang together and decide we're going to build a city. And in the middle of the city, we're going to build a tower. So they, they purpose themselves and they build this thing. Now, there's all kinds of pictures of a big spiraling tower that goes way up into the clouds and all this kind of thing. But what they built was co- what, what, what has been proven through archaeological things and the fact that these things are everywhere. They built basically a pyramid or a ziggurat, what they call it. But it's a pyramid. All right? They build this tall thing. And, it, and again, the, in, in the biblical account babel babel means confusion in babylonian tongue it or the chaldean I, I i'm not sure of which but i think it's babylonian tongue babel means gateway of the gods see there's different ways to look here what was Nimrod and his folks doing? They were building a tower into heaven, but really what they were doing was they were building this, what they believed to be a portal, a gateway to God or the gods. doesn't necessarily have to be God as we know him, Elohim, the God that we serve, the God that we worship. It, it could be a multitude of gods because if you read the Bible the way it's written, it actually talks about gods in the little g and what people believe. Now, you know, we go, you know, God does what God does. He tosses these people to the wind and changes their, their verbiage so they can't understand each other. They can't work together, so they spread out. That's what he wanted from the get-go, a spreading out. The world is a huge place. Don't just get stuck in in Iraq and stay there. Get out and go somewhere. So that's what they did. They did finally what God wanted them to do. 
So they're out and about and things go on. And again, you know, man does what man does. It's never usually much good. And God decides I need somebody. So he compels a man by the name of Abram to come out of Ur of the Chaldees, which is basically that Iraq area, which is full of witches and sorcery and, and all kinds of pagan stuff. And he compels him to come out of that and come over to God's side. See how, you know, you ever think all you hear is, Oh, God called Abraham. No, he compelled him. He, he put his spirit somehow in him and brought him out. Mm -mm -mm. And again, we got a, we have a miracle. that's going to come. God tells Abraham down the road. He changed his name to Abraham and her name to Sarah. And he, 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 he says, you are going to be having the child of promise. You are going to have uh, the one who will s- set us on the track towards the, the uh, salvation of man. The Messiah will come from you. He will spring from your loins, Abraham. He's 100 years old, and his wife is like 90-something. She's way past the age, and she's never been able to have a child anyway. But yet, she does. She does. A miracle has happened. Many miracles have happened so far. And we're only up to about Genesis 13 or 14. <clears throat> speed speed reading, okay? We, we go through the whole, you know, Isaac and Jacob and... Esau and all that, that, that stuff is very interesting. There's a lot there to see. The book of Genesis, if you just study it, you can study it for the rest of your life, never go any further, still be just as saved as you were when you started, still be just as on fire for God, and maybe more so because the book of Genesis is very interesting. There are so many things in there that I'm not even touching on right now. But let's go to Exodus, and God takes these people who have been now in in exile, or I'm sorry, in uh, captivity for 400 plus years. And he he even, God said, this is going to happen. Your people will be locked up by a, a faraway country for 400 years. So they're, they're, in, they're in, uh, in this, and God goes through the plagues, takes, well, yeah, Moses, you know, Moses being alive, period, was a was a was a miracle, a miracle in itself. We know the, the story of Moses. He, his mother had him. They were supposed to kill him. They stuck him in a little ark and put him in the Nile, and he floated down. They knew who he was and where he came from when uh, Pharaoh's daughter found him, and she kept him and she raised him in the Pharaoh's house. Blah blah blah. You know the story. He goes into he goes actually into exile. Forty years later, he comes back at eighty years old, and he is a different Moses. He pounds his stick and it turns into snakes, you know, and the plagues and God finally gets Pharaoh's attention by killing off the firstborn. They go out into the, the desert. Now we picture the desert as this sandy, you know, you sink into the sand as you're walking. It's not really what the wilderness is. Now I've seen pictures. It's a harsh, hot, rock-infested, like flint-laying rocks, sharp rocks everywhere. Now, I've not been there. I can just tell you by the photographs that I've seen that it was not just, you know, the Sahara Desert or or whatever. It was a very 
the wilderness in God, when God says wilderness, he means wilderness. There's nothing there except rocks and sand, dirt. And God, again, Moses with the stick, the staff, and the, the, the Red Sea parts, people try to downplay that, but they can't because when they do, it's stupid. They say it was only four inches deep. Well, then, you know, Pharaoh's entire army then was buried in four inches of water. And he must, what was he, two inches tall? No, the Red Sea's a huge, you know, expanse, a deep sea. And then they go across, they're okay, Pharaoh's dead. Again, do you ever think about that? How intense that is? I mean, we see it on the on the Ten Commandments or something, and it oh, you know, that's a pretty and you know, but that's Hollywood's version. When you think about God's version, could you imagine yourself being there and walking across what used to be the Red Sea on dry land, in between, you know, fish looking at you and swimming by on the on the sides there? Looks like you're in the aquariums that we have today. But you know, you you know that it's Moses standing back there with his staff that's holding the water back. Well, it's actually God doing it, but he's using Moses to do it. And they go on across. A million people go across onto dry land. Pharaoh gets wiped. See, the the Bible's not boring. You know, these are stories that we've heard. I'm just doing that overflow or overview. Like I'm just trying to remind us. They go out into that desert again. It's not a nice place to be. There's no food. There's there's nothing. And God sustains them. Every time they run into an adverse situation, like the water, it's no good. It's poison. He fixes it. He has Moses throw a tree in and fixes it. You know, understanding it's Mirabah was the name of the place because it's got myrrh, which means death. If you drink it, you're dead. But yet Moses fixes it through God. God through Moses fixes it, I should say. Do you get that? Just that alone. And then, you know, the, he feeds them, and, and their their clothes never wear out. Of course, they, they, again, do stupid things, you know, dancing around the golden cows while Moses is up on the mountain for 40 days. God says, you better get down there and take a look because they're doing things I don't like, and God's going to wipe them out. Moses says, no, don't do it. You've done too much for them already. If you have to take somebody, take me. Moses being a picture of Jesus, how he interceded for us and the sins that we commit. Jesus said, no, it's got to be me. Moses says, no, Lord, don't wipe them out. It'll, the the Egyptians will hear and they'll say, "Oh, uh, you're you know, look what God did to them." But he didn't. He he listened to Moses. Not that he really listened to Moses, but Moses interceded. That's what that's what God looks for in His people: is people who are willing to stand in the gap, stand there and say, "I'll take it. Don't don't take it out on them." And, you know, whatever. It's, it, again, opening our eyes to the newer things, the different things. And these are just the, the, the flyover, again, of, of easy-to-understand things that, you know, again, they're weird when you really think about it. There's, can you imagine any of these things happening? 
Okay, so anyway, the people are sustained. Their clothes never wear out. Their shoes never wear out. They always have food. They don't like what they're eating, so God gives them some uh, birds to eat for a while until it's coming out of their nose, and then they're, you know, some of them are you know, hit with a plague because they you know, went against God. You know, when you think about these things, it's intense. And you know, some people don't even know any of these because they, all they hear is these lackadaisical, lackluster sermons about nothing. You know, we're not going to teach people here. We're just going to talk for an hour or whatever. All right, as you go through the Bible, you have giants again. These giants keep popping up. You have witches. You have devils. You have angels. You have wars. You have supernatural revelations. You have supernatural interventions of God. You have people whose eyes are open so that they can see that they're not alone. That would be Elisha, Elisha, and his uh, his fellow that traveled with him scared to death he was and elijah or elisha just says lord open his eyes so he can see and when he does he sees the angel army all around and he says oh okay i can sleep now don't just read over these things when you read your bible i pray that you do i pray that you read the bible every day or or, or at least get in there often but there's a lot of things that we, we, we claim and we say, that's a little weird. And some of it's just maybe a verse here and a verse there, and those verses are there for a reason. They're those little odd, strange things that seem weird to us, especially since we don't really get all of it. We're Westerners. We don't have that Eastern Semitic mindset that under that to understand you know i heard a guy say this and it, and it stings a little bit but it's it's true now listen to the whole statement we have to realize as westerners that the book the bible was not written to us but it was written for us therefore not saying that we shouldn't read it or we're not part of it we are a big part of it gentile westerner but when you really realize it wasn't written at the time it wasn't written for the western mind or the western mind wasn't even around really i mean except for the romans and maybe the goths and the visigoths and the turks and all the other ones that are around them but you know god was writing through jewish fellows to the jewish folks and then he grafted us in. Remember, never forget that. We were grafted in, reading in Romans, I think it's 9, 10, and 11. <clears throat> but we can't just, you know, when you know, just because of that, then you can say, well, that's a reason for me to just not pay attention to the weirder stuff. Because weirder stuff is what's interesting. That's the stuff to get into. Genesis 6, and then the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair. And giants were born. Og the Og of Bashan was, slept in an iron bed that was, you know, 14 feet long. Goliath, who was probably 13, 14 feet tall in a, in a time when most men were lucky if they hit six feet. Average height, they say, was around 5'8", five, 5'9". Five, you got a guy that's 14, 13, 14 feet high. That's a, and big. 
You know, it's not like a, a tall, skinny basketball player. These guys were huge. Six fingers. Again, six fingers on each hand and six toes on each feet. Do you know that the, when the American Indians would do the howl thing, you know, we, they make fun of, and it's really, that's what they're doing in the movies. It's kind of making fun. Uh, they they didn't do it because they understood anything. But a, the, an American Native American Indian would put his hand up and expect the person on the other side to do the same because they were looking to see how many fingers were on the hand of the guy they were talking to. Those giant guys that we're talking about were here as well in the United States. There are mounds and ziggurats, just like they built in Babel, pyramids in the United States down through South America. Just a little byline. So we shouldn't just read over the weird stuff. The, just forget that. It's too weird. I don't understand it. I don't want to. You know, the preacher doesn't talk about that on Sunday. Or my Sunday school teacher, if you have one, you know, he doesn't talk about it. How did we get the Bible? I want you to understand that these folks that wrote the Bible, they wrote it under the inspiration of what God wanted them to write. But it was the men who wrote it, and they wrote it so that people would understand. They didn't just sit down at a desk with a big, long piece of papyra, papyrus or a scroll and start scribbling. You know, they call it in the New Age terminology they you know there are books that have been written this way and they're they're usually junk you can't understand them and you wouldn't want to and they're boring that are written by what they call automatic writing this is a demonic type of writing inspired writing is different you know what you're going to write and you write it there's times i sit down and i and i'm trying to put some notes together to do this or when i've done some sermons and it just happens you know, it flows, and those are the best ones. And it's not that, you know, I go into a trance, and that's what I wanted to get to, is these people do automatic writing or in some kind of a, you know, witch-induced trance, and they just write, and when they're done, it's it's garbage, really. I mean, most of it's junk. But they just, it's there it is. And there's a, there's a host of them. I'll get their names and throw them at you, but I don't want you to read any of their books. <coughs> Excuse me. So our, our gospel writers, our, our, our Old Testament writers, didn't do that. They didn't just, oh, and they woke up and, oh, wow, i got a, a pile of stuff here that God just threw on me. No, when they wrote, they wrote things that God inspired them to write. He knew that this man was one whom he could inhabit, that he could inspire to do, and he used them, you know, Ezekiel, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Obadiah. You go on through the list, Moses, Job, and you can fight over who Job was or who wrote Job. But anyway, you know, the Psalms, all that stuff was inspired writing, but it wasn't automatic writing. These folks wrote from their heart, and they wrote so that the people could understand what they were writing, where it had a form from. So not like the 
devil writing where you, when you get done, it's mishmash and junk. You can't, it's really boring and stupid. And it's all over the place, much like the Quran, which I believe was automatic writing. You don't hear about that. These guys didn't go to a trance and just start rolling. And, you know, it was pulled from real experiences. It was pulled from things that God said, this is how this happened, and I want you to write this down. And they did. But they wrote it down, and the people can understand it. It wasn't some higher-than-holy thing. There's no myths in the Bible. Yet many other people groups formed their mythology from the amazing things that the one true God performed. And that's a truth. And you know some of the stuff that the devil performed as well. They get their myths from and they, they skew them and the you know we could go into that for hours and I, I've already gone longer than I thought I would today. Okay, but these types of things, they can wake up our Western minds. The idea of where did this Bible come from? How did they come about with it? Did, you know, they used other texts to write their books in the Bible. You know, there's, there's some of it, it's direct revelation from God put into the uh, verbiage of man. God trusted those men to do and write what he wanted them to write. He didn't just knock them out and, and their hand flew across the paper. It was well thought and well placed. Every, every period, every, every little swoosh over top of a letter was there. These things were written so that the people that it was written to in the Semitic, Eastern Semitic uh, people could truly understand And they really got it. You know, they understood it. And that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to get it. He wants us to, you know, you know, get on board. You don't have to become Jewish to understand. It wouldn't hurt to talk to a Jewish folk once in a while and say, hey, what's this thing about, you know, or whatever, or listen to a Messianic Jewish guy or find someone who's good at Semitic languages and how they came about, and how the Bible, I'm talking about Christians now, that can bring you a little closer to what God wanted us to know. I, I'm gonna, I, I've got, when I say strange things and weird things, I mean, an axe head floating in the river is weird, right? Uh, a virgin bringing forth the Messiah who never knew a man, it's kind of weird, it's kind of a strange occurrence. It doesn't happen every day. It never has happened again. Never will. Let's look at something real quick, huh? Turn to Psalm 82 in your Bible real quick, and then I'm going to wrap it. I'm not going to wrap. <laughs> We're going to just wrap this thing up. Psalm 82. Now, this is written by a feller by the name of Asaph. He was protege of David. God standeth in the congregation of the mighty. He judgeth among, among the gods. It's little g. Are you reading with me? If you're not, look at it. Psalm 82. Get it later and, and read it. 
It's one of those psalms that probably doesn't get read too often in our Western Christian church because it's very difficult to really grasp this thing. How long will you judge unjustly and accept the persons of the wicked, Selah? That means pause for a minute and think. So let's just reread verse 1. God, the God, Elohim, standeth in the congregation of the mighty. He judgeth among the gods. So is there more than one God that he judgeth amongst the gods? We would have to say, well, it seems like it, doesn't it? That there must be other gods? No, there's no other capital G gods. When it says gods, what is he talking about? He's talking about uh, something that I've heard for years, and, and I really got back into it because I want my mind woken up again. I'm tired of being dumbed down and dull. God has a divine counsel. And in this kind of writing, that's what you run into is this divine counsel where God, who who knows everything and he knows what he wants to do, but he's a God who wants to have those around him. He didn't create his angels just to sit around and say, when he says, hey, you, Michael, go down there and say something. Hey, you, or go kill somebody. Or you, Gabriel, I need you to make an announcement. He, he actually wants to interact with these created beings that he has there. And he's talking to some, you know, now some people twist this and they say, it's the Sanhedrin. It's the Jewish council that he's talking to. How often does God bring his Jewish council up to heaven? This is where this is all happening. Because it says... In verse number six, it says, I have said, and this is God speaking, I have said, ye are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High, but ye shall die like men and fall like one of the princes. Arise, uh, arise, O God, judge the earth, for thou shalt inherit all nations. You're going to die like men, he tells these gods, these other angels. These are obviously not the good guys. That's just a taste of what I'm saying is a little weird in the Bible. I'm going to drop um, some uh, websites some places, uh, some YouTube videos, whatever you want to call them, into the show notes today. If you get a chance and you want to, I want you to watch them. I want you to try to get an idea. I didn't even go to Deuteronomy 32, which is another where things just get dropped in there. And it's not, you know, the fellow I'm talking about is a guy named Dr. Michael Heiser, who is a, this guy's a, Ph.D. in Semitic languages. And, you know, some people say, well, I don't care about that. Tom, I'm saved. That's all I need. Don't you want to know more about the God who saved you? Do you want to know more about the Bible that he laid in your hands so many, many years ago? And how that came about? 
I do. Some of those strange things, and most of these you'll see are from the Old Testament. The, the New Testament is rife with them as well, these just little statements that are thrown out there. Deuteronomy 32, Psalm 82, which we just read some of, Genesis 6 and Genesis 11. You'll find there are some strange things being done here. You'll see as you go through the Exodus, there are some strange things that are going on there. The Deuteronomy where he talks about these things, giants, God's little G-O-D-S's, which still in, when you translate it, it translates Elohim, just like it does when it translates, you know, God. But we know that they're not, God, but they're sons of God, these angels, and they're all through the Old Testament. You'll, you'll see that when you get into the New Testament, you find a different language, and you find out that we are now the sons of God. We've been adopted into the family. I hope I haven't, I hope I'm not confusing you. That's not my, that's my job's to remove confusion. But I also want to wake up our minds to what the Bible is all about and what it what it says and and how it says it and where it came from as much as I can. I'm not a I don't have a PhD. A friend of mine says, "Yeah, you do, Tom. You got a Pentecostal hairdo. <laughs> Maybe that's it." But think about what you're reading, and I I encourage you. We'll look at these things as in the future when we're doing some real deep Bible studies of the odd or weirder things that God has in his word. Because there's a lot of it, but it's really good stuff. It's interesting. It's not, I'm not being blasphemous or, or downplaying that stuff. I want it to come out and to be understood. April the 15th, 2021. This is Tom Richardson of the Removing Confusion podcast. And I'm bidding you Godspeed, God bless, and until the next time, have a great day.